I'm going to say not to this. And the reason why is because when you look throughout the history of what was going on in Europe, you'll find that most of the people who shed blood in a lot of these bloody encounters were not the people who were actually the ones starting the division. A lot of times you had people who were nobility. They had something in their life that they actually placed above their faith. Like, for instance, deciding that you wanted to have a divorce and if the head of the church wasn't going to give you a divorce, you were just going to split off and you would have your own church. You find that there were instigators and there were people at the top of these denominations that really moved a lot of the people they were supposed to be shepherding, a lot of the people they were supposed to be protecting. They moved them to do things that I don't think they would have done left to their own. And that's why I'm going to say not to this because I don't think for the actual rank and file follower of Jesus Christ, no matter what denomination, no matter what sect or what even family they may have been part of, I don't think they so much cared. I think most of them just kind of wanted to work and they probably didn't want to go to war. Um, most of them probably just wanted to, to be at peace at home and, and have kids and work and, and go to church and kind of be blessed by God and, and enjoy creation. Whereas you had a lot of other people who were saying, you know what, I'm going to make all my armies go to war with yours. What do we got next, Anthony? Well, all right. I just wanted to say one thing, and it's that um, I do think, again, I don't think it's a reformer's fault necessarily, but I do think that the Reformation did make way for some of this violence just because it did ensue a whole lot of um, really, really strong nationalism. And Amanda brought this up how uh, for Luther, you know, the Reformation and the kingdom of God was to the extent of the borders of the nation of Germany. Yeah. And it was because it, it was under the idea that God was the God of nations. And therefore, if God was the God of your nation, then your nation had something holy and sanctified about it. And so, you know, each nation kind of had an equal right to claim that. And so um, they would proceed to the warring. But yeah. in any case, so well, I, I'm, I'm still going to push back on that and say <laughs> people only do that if they put something other than the true church at the top of their morality. You I, still have I some sort of idolatry there, and it's the same idolatry that people have been doing throughout time. So I don't think that that just begins at the Reformation. I think it's, again, them putting politics above who the church really should be. But anyways, we'll go on to the next one. I agree with that, too. All right, so uh, the next one. This is their sixth con. It gave rise to an independent, subjective Christianity and moved away from the creedal confession expression of Christianity. I don't think it did, so I'm going to go with not. I, I mean, because uh, Paul, uh, Martin Luther was rediscovering Paul in his in his epistle to the Romans. Uh, so if anything, this was a rediscovering of the creedal confessions of the church. Now, I, I get that. I mean, you have to go way further in history, like forward in time, closer to where we are now, to where you have this more experiential um, whatever I say or think or feel is somehow orthodoxy. I mean, that really comes later. And so, I mean, you can kind of say maybe he opened the door for that, but not really. That's, that would be like saying um, um, impressionist art opened the door for modern art. You can see the trend, but that was not the intention of the movement. Um, so, I, Well, I think to yeah. your point, you can trace it, take like with the impressionism and modern art, you can trace it both before impressionism and also after modern art and just see that they're kind of a an, an evolution of forces beyond that moment. Yeah. It, and yeah. Yeah, so I'm, 
What do you think about this? Uh, I'm going to say n- not, but I'm also going to say, you know, the, I think the three main things were indulgences, transubstantiation, and papal bulls. And I think there's always that move back to the people. And that that was big back then for to have the, the, the scriptures in a language that you could read. And so don't forget, you know, the... the the printing press and all these things were coming back. There's a movement there that I think is uh, very much where creedal is not just something that, I think you said it best, Amanda, when you said that, you know, even Luther was rediscovering Paul. And I think the the creedal statements are very vital, and I think it was being rediscovered not only by Martin Luther, but by the people in general. All right, and just so I give my answer, if we say hot, Anthony, restate the question one more time for me. Hold on, I gotta go back up to it again. All right, so um, this is a con. It gave rise to an independent, subjective Christianity and moved away from the creedal, confessional expression of Christianity. All right, so you said not. No, I, I yeah, I don't think that's not, what happened. And you said not. I'm gonna not. say not too, and for a little bit different reason than what you all have said. And my statement is this: if people are gonna be subjective, they're probably gonna be subjective. Look, you look back even to the time of Jesus, people were misinterpreting the law. People have been misinterpreting things for as long as we've been recording history. Amanda's right. This sort of whole new subjective experiential thing. You can look back to the 1800s and see this movement where people say, well, you know, I'm going to open a Bible and how I read this verse that happens there. Again, that's much later in time. But again, even if you go further back in time, you see people misabusing or misusing and abusing texts to do what they want to do with them. So, again, I don't think that has any unique connection to the Reformation than it does anywhere else. Um, I would say that it's sort of (laughs) 50-50. There are a lot of Protestant denominations, or at least descendants of, um, you know, uh, more rooted Protestants that are just way too subjective. But there's also the fact that there was a lot of things that the Catholic Church was doing that was not necessarily in accord with the creedal um, confessions. So I think it's it's sort of back and forth. <laughs> and as you said also, Luther did rediscover, not necessarily rediscover, but he reemphasized a lot of important things about the Christian faith. So, but I guess, is everybody ready to move yeah, on? Yeah, move pros? on to the next one. All right, here are the pros. This is no- number one. It brought back the primacy of scriptures for faith and practice. I like that inhaling noise you just made because I know what you're thinking, um, and, and it is it's it's a um, it's a pro. But I, I think if I know where you're going to take it, um, Pastor Dylan, you, you may say it can also be a, a con in some churches. Um, but but really, I, I think to the point uh, that we've kind of been skirting around a little bit, and in, in that we talked about in a, another episode. But idolatry has been happening uh, since the Garden of Eden. Um, anything people can use to misuse. But um, yeah, this was one of Martin Luther's main focuses with Sola Scriptura and this idea that you don't need a pope or a priest to kind of be your intermediate between you and Holy Scripture, you and knowing God, you and conversating with God, having a relationship with God. And that's definitely something that's very positive. So I'm going to say hot with this statement, but we'll see. <laughs> go ahead. I'm going to go down a slippery slope of saying not. Uh, I know it's Scripture alone, but there's also faith alone, Christ alone. Uh, and but back to the scripture alone, I think there's sometimes, and I, I, I'm I'm a very uh, accepting person of all 
translations. Uh, I, I use different Didn't translations. I don't <laughs> like all, but at that time, you know, just going, the emphasis on the original language is so important. And um, there's not enough information there, I think, in, in, to say scripture alone. That, that means so many different things. And uh, if it means scripture alone with the emphasis on, on uh, original language and good exegetical processes and looking behind the text and all that, I'm for it. Criti- good historical criticism. But if it is just, uh, oh, we got the scriptures, let's abuse them however we want, use them to prove our points, then I would say not for sure. But uh, I think both things happened in that. So I'm kind of, I don't know, I don't want to be wishy-washy like Anthony, but I'm kind of, <laughs> oh, what a... What a, but I don't want to be 50-50, but I'm going to say not. I'll say hot. I'll, okay. Amanda actually was right along the thoughts I was. I think if people are going to misuse stuff, they are. The only thing I'll add to this is I do like the liberty that was initiated mm-hmm. for a lot yeah. of the ministers. Because if you were a minister of the gospel, it really doesn't matter what format that was, whether you were somebody who's secluded more of a ascetic life whether you're like a a nun in an abbey or you're a monk somewhere or you're somebody who's just trying to be a nice minister to your community i think it opened up the door for ministers to be to use to use scripture in such a way that they could really fine-tune it to their context now that didn't mean that people always did it right um but i think it initiated that liberty for the clergy a little bit so that's the only thing i would add to that um what do we got next, Anthony? It brought, this is number two of their pros. It brought more clarity to salvation by faith and not by works. I mean, yeah, but, um, and again, Pastor Mike kind of hinted at this, that even uh, the Catholic Church had its own reformation. And I, I think this is something, like, I agree with the statement, but I kind of want to, I guess because I'm a pastor, I have to talk more. But anyways, give a little bit of caveat, is I don't even think the Catholic Church nowadays um believes that you are somehow saved by works like they, they don't believe that um and and i think a lot of people kind of see that as like oh protestants believe that we are saved through faith and, and the catholics don't and that's not true um we all believe that we are saved um by grace through faith in christ jesus alone through the faithfulness of christ um but we can see at that time of the reformation there was great abuse and um, corruption that was happening in the church and so the church used this idea of salvation as a way to manipulate people and that's really what's being reformed in in martin luther's reformation and so obviously yeah that's a very hot thing all right uh i i agree with everything amanda said but i'm gonna say not rejecting the premise because there is still great confusion between the church on the relationship between faith and works as far as the everyday standard lay person is concerned there is a lot of confusion between that if we did a if the i realize in that time there was a lot of works-based theology that was really being abused but if there was more resolution after that moment i think i would i would give a more hot answer i'm going with hot it is the faithfulness of christ jesus um, and our faith in the faithfulness of christ jesus so i'm going with hot on that statement all right, moving on to the last pro that they have, number five. It took away the power of the Pope and brought about checks and balances in the church. But did it? See, that's the thing. Last time, <laughs> the, 
on the last one, I said not. Not because I disagreed with it or disagreed with anything y'all said. I said not because I reject the premise of the statement. Right. And that's what I'm saying. Like, but did it? Because, I mean. And that's an acceptable answer to say not reject the premise yeah. of this. <laughs> and I think that's why we clarify why we say hot, not, or even sanctified. We, we give them. Because they do have, there's nuance in, in how we give those yeah. answers. But, um, yeah, I, it did definitely remove the Pope from, not remove. I think it kind of maybe took them down a notch. But again, you already you already have the patriarch in the East um, who is the head of the Eastern Orthodox Church. So it's not like the Pope was like, you know, the main theological informer of the entire world. Um, also, at this, who you asked that. <laughs> and where, what, what, what geographical location right, you asked well, that. And that's it. Like, I mean, because I mean, let's think about it at this point of the Reformation. Um, I mean, they're, they're just beginning to discover things like the New World. Yeah. And so there's all this territory that has yet to be explored. So by no means was the Pope all-powerful, even when he thought he was. Um, but we can still see today the Catholic Church still has an immense power and influence, even on people who aren't Catholic. Yeah. Um, yeah, and so I think whether for better or for worse, we have to recognize that. And the Reformation, I don't think it, it may have been, it was very bad at that time probably for that Pope. But I think looking back, it's just kind of a blip on the screen for them. They're just moving on, doing yeah. what they're doing. So so to the second half of that with checks and balance, because I feel like that might be where the not comes in. Do you feel like there was checks and balances, Amanda, after that? No. I, I, well, I mean, again, they had their own reformation, so maybe there was. Yeah. But again, uh, and I think we're continually reforming, like Pastor Mike said, the church needs to continue. And you can see that in the Catholic Church and how some of their newer popes have been acting but even then, they, they do have in the cardinals and bishops, and I'm not bad mouthing bad mouthing the Catholic Church, but they do have a lot of power. And like in the Church of the Nazarene, our GSs and DSs have power, but they're answerable pretty directly to people. Um, yeah. So, and that's how we have organized our church structure. Yep. And so, it I think for the Catholic Church, so there's still a lot of power that's given to them that is not accountable and is not checked and balanced. Yeah, and you see that going on today, and. Earlier in the past, when I make the statements like there's great confusion about something, I'm not saying that we here are confused about it, or even people in our own church. What I'm saying is that as a whole, there are a lot of people who have not been taught deep enough theology mm -hmm. to resolve these. And we actually do have the the traditions, the scripture. We have the, the wonderful gifts and graces from God handed down to us to have moral certainty in these areas. And But there's been shortcomings within the church of taking people to this place of moral certainty. We do need to, to recognize that checks and balances has been something which in a lot of places, a lot of times people don't want to stand up to evil. They like to sweep things under the rug. It's just how humans tend to be. They kind of like to take the easier. The path of least resistance is the way a lot of people like to work within social circles. Um, I'm saying not to this reject the premise. What do you think? Well, I think there's a deeper issue here that, that I think, uh, you know, whether you have the first lady of a local congregation or the first man or whatever you, you this is one of the statements that I have learned and that is that I take to heart the congregation should never just follow a pastor in the sense of following you know uh, yeah. this male pastor this female pastor or whoever man or woman but to follow Christ yeah. At the same time, the congregation needs a pastor. And so I think there should be a great checks and balances there. But at the same it, it, so it's kind of like, yes, uh, I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm great with there being that person to represent Christ as, as a leader in the church. 
but at the same time, we must always follow Christ. And I think that's very good uh, advice. Um, to sort of quote a very, very old jingle uh, from right around the time of the Reformation, when the coin in the coffer rings, another soul from purgatory springs. And I just say that because, you know, we're not having to deal with indulgences today, yeah. which is really, really great. Um, and I will say that the Reformation made a lot of information and truth available to people. And, of course, truth sets you free. And I think, and at the very least, even if the structure of the Catholic Church didn't get changed all that much and the power redistributed, I will say that at the very minimum, they are held accountable by the fact that their laity are able to be that much more aware of what Scripture actually says. And it's like, no, there is nothing about indulgences here. You can't sell that. Yeah. And so at the very minimum, they are checked there. And yeah, so true. I can yeah. appreciate that for sure. But there are some of us who would say that was coming anyway without a schism would have been beautiful. Just with the and, evolution and, of technology, yes. which, again, the printing press and Martin Luther, they happen in such a way that kind of make each more possible. You know, the printing press finally has something relevant to to produce and send throughout the world. And Martin Luther now has a means to get his word out. So they kind of build off one another there a bit. But again, you're right. Things were moving in that direction. So something was boiling. You can only ride out things which are not right for so long. Tyranny only works for so while before someone sorts it all out. And then everything. And praise God. There is one church, yeah. one baptism. And yep. though there may be different emphasis, we are brothers and sisters united in Christ. Praise yep. God. That's a good place to end. So we will end that there. Thank you for joining us. Send us your thoughts, questions, and comments. Again, if you'd like to support our program, you can do that by donating at patreon.com. So that's Kingdom of the Logos. We're looking to get a new computer. Our graphics card on our modern one here is not so modern. It's about four years old or something like that, but it's giving us a lot of fits. Anyways, if you would really like to help us out, you can do that, or you can just grab a link and share it with your friends or family. You can like, support us that way. That really does help us out, just commenting and liking and sharing. With that, God love you, and have a blessed day. Was the Protestant Reformation a good thing? Welcome to the Kingdom of the Logos, a Christian program of critical thinking and adventure, and it is produced by a clergy in the Church of the Nazarene. I'm Pastor J. Dylan Proctor. I'm Pastor Mike Proctor. I'm Pastor Amanda Sparrow. And I'm Anthony Alegria. In this video, we're going to be discussing hot, not or sanctified in terms of a list of things about the Protestant Reformation, a list of pros and cons. And Anthony will present each of these and we'll say that they are hot, not or sanctified. If we say it's hot, that means we like it. If we say not, it means we disagree with it. And if we say sanctified, which we can only can do once per program, um, that means only God can decide. So it's kind of like a, a hold there. Anthony, where did this list come from? And go ahead and get started with this. So we're going to be looking at three excerpts for their cons, three excerpts for their pros uh, for the Protestant Reformation. And it comes from charismanews.com. That sounds fun. Yeah, honestly, <laughs> that name is, they're honestly, they're thinking about this more than their name might suggest. So I actually kind of like them so far. But we're going to start with their third con which, or it, yeah, the third con, which is the Protestant Reformation led to a gross fragmentation resulting in thousands of denominations. Hot. In other words, I, I agree with that. You agree that that's, it's a con? Yes. I'm going to disagree. 
Um, I, I think this is not because I, I think a lot of people get really fussy when we talk about different denominations. They do see different denominations as fragmentations and division in the church. Um, but I don't think that's really the case. And, and I don't think we can blame the Protestant fathers for that. I think that's happened. Um, I mean, some divisions that have happened in our church are over carnal and stupid things. I mean, you've all heard about the church that divided over the color of the carpet or because they put projectors instead of saying out of the hymnal. That's stupid. But ignoring that, I think that different denominations would have happened differently anyways because they're, they're already, you have a division with the East and the West, you have a division with the, with the Egyptian, the Coptic um, Orthodox versus the further Eastern um, Orthodox, you had division within the, I think that would have happened even without the Protestant Reformation. And so I think this is just kind of blaming them because they can get to blame them. All right. Well, I'm, <laughs> to justify what I said, well, let me say this real quick. I'm agreeing with this, not because I'm blaming the Protestant Reformation on purpose, but I think it's a side effect because most of the denominations are split on which virtue they want to emphasize over other virtues. And I think what happens down the road is you find so many, like you have some which are like sola scriptura and they care a lot about scripture, but they don't care so much about tradition, which disables them from really having a good understanding of scripture. And then you have other people who really emphasize things perhaps other than scripture, and they start to redefine orthodoxy. And you get people who really, they get one of the Christian traits really well, like they might be really good at charity, they're really bad at like truth. And that's really where I see the problem. Dad, what do you think? Uh, well, if you know the son, then you know the father, and I am <laughs> your father, but I'm going to say hot. And, uh, you know, I, I think, uh, you, you, you know, if you had Martin Luther here, he did not want to have a, uh, a schism and don't forget, there is a counter-reformation in the Reformation where the church, but I'm always uh, wanting unity, and I believe that there need to be some reforming going on. And I think uh, one of my professors once said, the church that does not reform is not being the church, that it constantly is reforming and refinding itself and focusing on Christ. Uh, and that needed to happen there as well. I like all the different opinions. I like it when we don't all say the same things. Preachers always want to repeat the same thing from one another. <laughs> Anthony, what do you have next? So, um, the next one. I had a thought about the, oh yeah, I don't think that they're trying to blame the reformers. I think that they're just saying it is a bad side effect that we are, that there's a lot of division. But in any case, so, we're moving on to their fifth con, which is it had disastrous results for the nation's. And by that, this is in reference to the many wars and, uh, you know, the moral justifications that they were claiming to have for them and so on. So I'll let y'all get started on that. Yeah, and, and I think I'm going to say hot, but not in the sense that that, that was a good thing. But I, I agree with the list. Um, yeah, you definitely see that uh, Martin Luther, for him, the kingdom of God was the borders of Germany. Um, to be German meant to be Lutheran and to be Lutheran meant to be German. Um, and so you, you do see a lot of this conflict that happens. We see this in, in the English um, Reformation that will happen in a couple years after that, um, where Catholics will be killing Protestants, Protestants will be Catholics. Sometimes the king will kill both because he doesn't know which side he wants to be on that day. Um, it Just horrific things would come out of this Reformation. And, and um, I think we have to call it for what it is. It, it, that was definitely a horrible thing that came out of something that was trying to be a good thing. I'll let you, you answer. I go with a hot statement there, and I agree with what Pastor Amanda says, but it's horrific uh, is is a, a strong word, but I don't know if it's strong enough. I'll just say that with everything. And I, I, I do think that uh, chaos 
ensued tremendously, and uh, I'm just going to say hot.